Well, hello, friends. Grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, be with you. Welcome to Sermons from the Mount podcast. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill. I currently serve as the pastor of Mount Olivet United Methodist Church in Manio, North Carolina. Each week, we will post here audio recordings of the sermons that I preach from that church. Hope this one is a blessing to you. God bless. Take care. Friends, our gospel lesson this morning in the sermon text comes from the gospel of Matthew. We'll be in the 13th chapter. We're going to start by taking a look at verses 1 through 9. And then we're going to jump over and look at verses 18 through 23. All right, so again, we're Matthew chapter 13, 1 through 9, and then 18 through 23. It says, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground. For they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But once the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. My friends, this is the word of God for you and I, the children of God. Thanks be to God. My friends, many of you know, because you were there, or you've seen it on social media, you've heard it from one of your friends, but for those that don't, this past Thursday night at the Outer Bank Scallywags game, they invited me to throw out the ceremonial first pitch. It was a night in which they were honoring our church and all the support that we have given them during the course of this season. And when Michael Dooley, who owns the team, asked me, I immediately said yes. I wasn't necessarily concerned, per se, about throwing a baseball. I've been throwing a baseball since I was five or six years old. But when I started thinking about it, what I realized is that it had been about 30 years since I had thrown off a mound full 60-foot, six-inch distance from the pitching rubber to home plate. And I didn't want to throw it in the dirt. 
And I didn't want to throw it over the catcher's head. And I didn't want to throw it in any other kind of direction that would cause embarrassment for me or for this church. And so there was a certain amount of pressure, whether it be real or imagined, that I felt as I walked across the diamond on Thursday night. And as I walked out of there, I had a decision to make because, as most of you have seen, when there's a ceremonial first pitch, a lot of times it takes place either right in front of the mound or about halfway between the rubber and home plate to make it a little bit easier on the person throwing. Or I could have gone on top of the mound and thrown the full 60 foot 6 inches. Starting pitcher that night was a guy named Christian Yu. And I asked you, I said, does anybody ever throw up here? He said, sir, you can throw wherever it is you want to. So I decided I'd throw the full 60 foot, six inches. So I took the ball from him and I stretched my arm out just a little bit and I got into a modified windup and I threw. And I must tell you that when I threw, I did realize a certain amount of peace because the distance from where I was throwing to home plate hadn't changed in the last 30 years. The size and weight of the baseball hadn't changed in the last 30 years. The size of home plate hadn't changed in the last 30 years. The relative strike zone from the knees to your chest hadn't changed in the last 30 years. And while there may be some debate as to whether or not my pitch would have been called a strike in an actual game, and a few things have changed in the sport of baseball over the last few years, there can be no debate about some of the unchanging constants the greatest game ever invented. And it's this dichotomy between the changing and the constant that's been on my mind these last couple of days as I thought about Thursday night and I read over our parable for this morning. Because in our lesson, you also have the changing and the constant. And for us to be the kind of people that God wants us to be, we better get it right. Now, the parable here is oftentimes called the parable of the sower. That's what it's called in my Bible. But I think it should be called the parable of the seed and the soil. Because that's where the distinctions come. The seed and the soil. One of them changes. One of them is constant. All of it is present with us this morning. One of my commentaries said that wherever the word of God is preached and expounded, and people are assembled to hear it, the sayings of our Lord in this parable are found to be true. It describes what goes on in all congregations. So let's first talk about what changes in this parable. It's the soil. Or as Lauren mentioned, what it represents is our hearts, our minds, our souls, yours and mine. We are the soil. And how we react to the seed being sown makes all the difference in the world. The first soil mentioned here is not really soil at all, but a hardened path that allows birds to come and eat the seed. These are those whose hearts are so hardened and their soil is so solid that it is compacted and better described as a path. There are no cracks where the seed can infiltrate, so the seed just sits on top of the surface. Those of us like this kind of soil might hear the words of hope and love that come from the seed, but we don't want them. Or we refuse to understand them. 
We, are, we refuse to allow the seed to challenge or nurture or heal our hardened hearts. And for good measure, the evil one comes and snatches the seed that's laid bare on the soil that keeps us dried up, keeps us parched, keeps us hardened. One of my commentaries says, These are they who hear sermons but pay no attention to them. They go to a place of worship for form or fashion to appear respectable before others. But they take no interest whatever in the preaching. It seems to them a mere matter of words and names and unintelligible talk. It's neither about money, food, drink, clothes, or company. And as they sit under the sound of it, they are taken up with thinking of other things. It produces no more effect on them than water on a stone. The seed of the gospel is plucked away from them by the devil almost as soon as it is sown. It does not sink down into their consciences. It does not make the least impression on their minds. The devil is no doubt everywhere, but nowhere perhaps is he more active than in a congregation of gospel hearers. From him come wandering thoughts and roving imaginations, listless minds and dull memories, sleepy eyes and fidgety nerves, weary ears and distracted attentions. We shall always find the devil at church. We need to seek God to keep Satan from us and to provide us with receptive hearts as we listen to his word preached. Is this you this morning? The next soil is the stony ground where preaching produces temporary impressions but no deep, lasting, abiding effect. Perhaps we are at a stage of life that has moved us from being hardened to a little more broken up. Like you sometimes see the sides of paved roads that get a little bit cracked and whatnot. The invitation from God comes as the seed of the kingdom and our freshly opened selves snatch on to the thing that we know is good news. But we're a little bit flighty and the patterns of our hardened hearts and our stubbornnesses are a little hard to break. We want the good news, but we haven't yet learned the deep truth that the good news isn't a promise of an easy road. We're looking for the seed of the kingdom to solve our problems, but we don't want to do the work involved in cultivating and nourishing its presence. We don't let it deep within us. We don't let it challenge us, our views, our way of thinking and loving and worshiping. And so when the going gets tough and when it's not rainbows and sunshine, but instead thunderstorms and hail, we lose a little bit of hope because we kept Jesus and his ways superficial in our lives. Yes, pleasure is taken from worship and engaging in God's word and we can speak with joy and enthusiasm about the sweetness of the gospel and the happiness we experience from listening to it. And we can be moved to tears by powerful sermons and songs and talk with sincerity about our own inner conflicts and hopes and struggles and desires and fears, but there's no real work of the Holy Spirit within our hearts. And so just like Jonah's plant that we read about last week, for those that are on our Bible reading plan, the plant that came up in a night and perished in a night, we fade as rapidly as we grow. Once trouble and trial comes, we fall away. Now friends, professions of faith should make us rejoice. But continuance in the things of God is a far more important reason for joy. 
this you this morning. The next soil is the thorny ground. Jesus says we are the ones that welcome the seed but don't remove the other plants so that the kingdom ways can flourish. We are the ones who need to open our grip on our fears and worries or on our drive for more money or more status or more, more, more to pull up these things that are deeply rooted into us more than the things of God are. Because if we don't, the ways of God will wither. You can't serve two masters. These are those who worship and know Christ's truth and to a certain extent obey it. Our understanding assents to it. Our judgment approves of it. Our conscience is affected by it. We acknowledge that it is all right and good and worthy of all reception. We may even abstain from many things that the gospel condemns and we may adopt many of the habits that the gospel requires, but we stop short. Something always seems to grab us and we never get beyond a certain point in our faith. With everything apparently that is promising and favorable in our spiritual state, we stand still. Why? Because of the world. We allow the things of this earth to get such a hold upon our minds that we leave no room for the word of God to do his work. Friends, thousands of other things that in themselves are innocent become, when followed to excess, soul poison. In 1856, 1856, J.C. Ryle wrote this. He says, we live in a preoccupied day when so many are too busy to listen to what God has to say. But no one who is too busy to listen now will be too busy to appear before God and be judged. We can and should make time for God. That was 1856. Not much has changed since then, has it? Is this you this morning? And then finally is the good ground. These are they who really receive Christ's truth into the bottom of their hearts, believe it implicitly, and obey it thoroughly. In these, the fruits of that truth will be seen, plain and unmistakable results in heart and life. Sin will be truly hated, mourned over, resisted and renounced. Christ will be truly loved, trusted and followed and obeyed. Holiness will show itself in all their lives, in humility, spiritual mindedness, patience, meekness and love. There will be something always that can be seen because the true work of the Holy Spirit cannot be hidden. There will always be visible repentance, visible faith in Christ, and visible holiness of life because the good soul represents when we hear and understand. When we let the good news sink deep into our lives and take hold of our hearts in such a way that it changes our lives. And then we become not just soil, but the wildly growing garden of God. Bearing fruit upon fruit upon fruit. Because that word understand is different the way Jesus uses it than the way we typically think about it. This Greek word here, understand, is not the kind of understanding that is just cognitive, which is what you and I think of. But it's defined in the ancient Greek as having a grasp of something that challenges one's thinking or practice. In other words, to understand 
means that there is a change in action and a way of being. Understanding God's word should change your actions and way of being. <coughs> is this you this morning? Again, J.C. Rowell says, Let us leave the parable with a deep sense of the danger and responsibility of all hearers of the gospel. There are four ways in which we may hear, and of these four, only one is right. There are three kinds of hearers whose souls are in peril. There is only one class of hearers who are right in the sight of God. Are we? That's a little stiff, isn't it? I don't know about you, but that smacked me in the face this week. And the reason is this. Because if I'm being totally honest with myself and totally honest with you, I find myself far more often in that third kind of solo than I do in the fourth. I feel like I'm in that thorny soil with all the weeds, prone to those habits and things that prevent me from being the good soil that I want to be, that I know that I need to be, that I know God wants me to be. And I find that it's just like when I mow at the house during the course of a week. I got to go around and dig up and throw away all the weeds and thorns. Now things are perfect. For about a week. And they got to do it all over again. Now friends, if you find yourself in that same garden with me, or maybe even if you find yourself in the other two, knowing that we all need to be in that good, good soil, I don't want you to get discouraged or frustrated or down on yourself or give up or anything like that. And here's why. Because we are able to change the kind of soils we are in by relying on a thing that stays constant. The sower and the seed. The sower and the seed. The sower, of course, is God. The seed is his word. Or maybe more specifically, the word made flesh in Christ Jesus. These never change. God is constantly sending his word to us, constantly sowing his seed for us, be it in the pages of scripture or in sermons or in Bible studies or in prayer, constantly reminding us of his grace and love and hope and strength and joy and that we all have a chance to receive these things and change our hearts and change our minds and change our actions to more fully comply with his teachings to love God and to love each other. God never changes. His word never changes. Yet he gives each of us the opportunity to change for the better every day of our lives. <clears throat> to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can live God's perfect will for us. Just as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12. But friends, we have to stay focused on him. We have to stay focused on his word. We have to have our minds fixed on Jesus. We have to stay at 17 inches. We have to stay at 17 inches. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, let me explain. I told you earlier that one of the things that brought me peace when I threw that pitch on Thursday night were the constants of baseball. 
And of those I mentioned, that the size of home plate has not changed in the 30 years since I last played competitively. Now, there was a guy whose name was John Scalinus, and he died in 2009. And he was known for going around and speaking at these baseball coaching clinics. And as the story goes, every time he would speak, he would show up with home plate on a chain, wearing it around his neck. And he would go his entire speech, not mentioning why he had home plate hanging from his neck until he got to the end. And it was then that he would say that that home plate hanging from his neck represented what he had learned about life. And then he would go around that room and he would ask the little league coaches, the middle school coaches, the high school coaches, the college coaches, the minor league coaches, the major league coaches. He would ask each and every one of them, how wide is home plate? And for each and every one of them, the answer was the same, 17 inches. No matter what level you play, home plate is 17 inches wide. 17 inches, 17 inches, 17 inches. And then he would say, what do you do with a pitcher that can't throw it over those 17 inches? He said, I'll tell you what you don't do. You don't say, ah, that's all right, Jimmy. You can't hit a 17-inch target? We'll make it 18 inches. We'll make it 19 inches. We'll make it 20 inches so you have a better chance of hitting your target. And if you still can't do it, let us know. And we'll make it wider. 25 inches. 30 inches. And then he would say, what do you do when your best player shows up late to practice? What do you do when your team rules forbid facial hair and a guy shows up unshaven? What do you do if a player gets caught drinking? Do you hold him accountable? Or do you change the rules to fit him? That is to say, do you widen home plate? And then he would say that this is the problem in our world today. There's no consequence for failing to meet standards. We widen the plate. And he would say, coaches, keep your players, no matter how good they are, keep your own children, and most importantly, keep yourself at 17 inches. Keep yourself at 17 inches. Now, the goal in baseball is to what? To score more runs than your opponent, and the only way to do that is by crossing home. Everybody wants to get home. Friends, all of us want to get home too, don't we? to that mansion with many rooms that Jesus talks about in John chapter 14. And we've been given, through God's word, the word made flesh, what we need to get there. Think of it as our 17 inches. But here's the thing. We can't widen the plate. We can't widen the plate to fit our needs and desires and then narrow it to punish our enemies. We have to be willing to put into work to see how far off of that 17 inches we may be. Come to God in repentance. And then each day tend to our soil to remove the thorns and try to stay at that 17 inches. Holding ourselves accountable and striving to be better as best we can. And if we can do that, friends, then we can be the ones who not only hear the word, but we understand it. 
bearing fruit 30, 60, or even 100-fold. And then every inch of our community, our nation, and our world can be nothing but good soil producing much fruit for the kingdom. So where are you this morning, friend? A hard path? A rocky ground? Authority ground? There's time to improve. But the time is short. Let today be the day that you start the work to try to get to those 17 inches. And if you say that you are at present in the good soil, then do what you need to stay at the 17 inches. Because after all, if you stay ready, you don't have to what? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Until next time, God bless. Take care.